God, we want to thank you for your grace and your mercy on our lives. God, we want to thank you for the things that you're doing uh, for us as a church, for us individually. And, and I, God, I believe that you are doing things in your church, capital C, for the glory of your name and for your kingdom, that all would know and call upon the name of Jesus. And so God, thank you for calling us to be part of that work. Continue to give us vision, continue to give us our purpose, continue to give us our direction in all of this, God. We want to walk side by side, hand in hand, step by step with you, not only in our community, but as individuals as we go through this life. And God, I know that we come in here in, a different, part, in different points of our journey, and, and some of us are up and some of us are down. And, and so, God, I pray that you would speak to our heart this morning right where we are, that you would meet the needs of our soul. And I pray that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so last week, we kind of landed our little hallmark teaching on John 15, Chapter 15, verse 12. And you know, and, and we, the whole thing last week was about love. And, and I didn't realize, well, no, I didn't forget Valentine's Day was Monday. I'm not saying that. But, you know, it kind of just kind of blended in. Did anybody forget it was Valentine's Day on Monday? No one? Okay, let me ask this. This is, this is utmost importance. Ladies, did you not get your card till the afternoon? Anybody? No, no, that's not it. You got your card in the afternoon? Some, 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 somebody forgot. See, Sandy taught me very early off in our marriage. When I gave her her card in the afternoon, she said, mm-mm. You forgot and you went out today to get this card, didn't you? And I could have lied. And every man part in me said, lie. This is the best thing for you. God will forgive you. Lie. But I came clean on it. I was like, yep. And so from now on, in the morning, the card goes on the bed, on the counter, somewhere. I mean, I don't really, we don't do Valentine's too much because it's just a way to make money. We did go out for dinner, Indian food. Sweet. I digress. Let's get it. So anyway, Jesus, in verse 12, he said this. Here's my command. Love each other as I have loved you. And I kind of presented this idea that that the love that Jesus has for us is this just very deep and multifaceted thing. It would take weeks if we were to teach on the love of Christ, atoning love, sanctifying love, sacrificial love. And, for, and so if, if that's the way that Jesus loves us and he is calling us to love each other with that same kind of love, then the love that we should have for each other is kind of deep. And it's kind of multifaceted. And again, it would take weeks and weeks to, to teach through those ideas. So for the, for the sake of our discussion, maybe not for the sake of you listening, I decided that I would just kind of choose one facet of the love that we are to have for each other. And we talked a little bit about the love that we have for the brothers and sisters in community. And we said that for us to enter into community that we should come in not demanding not with an agenda not with it all figured out the way it's supposed to be but that we would come into a a community of faith with a thankful excuse me a thankful heart 
thankful for what God has given us. Thankful that he's given us a group of people that have, that have, that walk in forgiveness, that are trying to answer the call that, that he has for our lives, that, that are come under his promises. And then we, we said, you know, maybe we should stop complaining about what we don't have, about the things that we think are falling short. We should just be thankful. Because remember what I said, that the problems in the community that you may be complaining about may actually be you. That we would begin to take a look at ourselves before we point the finger at anyone else. And so enough review. Let's start John 15, verse 13. Okay, here we go. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So now we got to land on these, this text for a little while because there's some really important things going on in here. Jesus is going to teach his disciples that there is this great love and that love is that a person would lay down their life for their friends. It's kind of the ultimate standard in the love departments. And this love is a love that Jesus will soon demonstrate. And I believe he has been demonstrating for the last three years of his life. And so what he is telling them, what he is teaching them is not something that's academic. It's not something that's theological. It's not some philosophy. This is the way Jesus has lived his life. And he's going to demonstrate what this love looks like as he hangs on the cross. To show the world. Now, I don't, know if, I don't know about you, but for me, this kind of raises a question. And maybe it's raised a question in you. Because I would think, as I read, as I read the scriptures, I would think that a love that would lay down a person with that, that's loving, and that person would lay down their life for their enemy, would actually be a greater love than somebody that would lay down their life for a friend. And if you thought that or asked that question, that's a great question. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He is with his friends, and his life is about to come to an end. This is, this is do or die, literally. And he is trying to teach them, and he is telling them that the greatest expression that you can have of this thing called love, that you would lay down your life for your friends, for the people in your life, for your community. And I would say that this is not just about taking the bullet. This is not just about standing in front of the guy with the knife. This is about living your life in such a way that you put other people first. This is about generosity that doesn't make any sense. This is about being, uh, this is about sacrifice. That looks ridiculous 
in the eyes of the world. This is about expending your time and your energy and your resources for the good of someone other than yourself. And not just when it's convenient, not just when you have time, not just when you can fit it into your schedule. Jesus has no greater love than this, one to lay down their life for their friend. Now, in saying that, we have to remember that Jesus would also do this for his enemies. Romans chapter 5, it tells us that, that while we were em- enemies, enemies <laughs> while we are enemies of God, we've been reconciled back to him through the death of his son. So Jesus would lay down his life for his enemies, us, at that point in our lives when we did not follow Christ, and even for the enemies of his day. And so, so he did do that, but he's teaching his disciples that there's no greater love than you guys would lay down your lives for each other. And then he, then he continues in this, and he, he points out again this idea of obedience. First, first, remember, he said, if you follow my commands, you abide in my love, not my suggestions. Jesus is giving commands. And now he will say, you are my friends if you keep my commands, not my suggestions. And so this idea of obedience cannot be just tossed aside. It cannot be taken lightly. Are we following Jesus? Are we doing the best that we can every day of our lives so that our life would reflect the life that Jesus has demonstrated for us? Are we obedient? And I'm not just talking about the big things in your life. I'm not talking about your calling. I'm not talking about using your gifts and talents. I mean, that, yes, that's part of it. But it's also just the everyday stuff, the boring stuff, the mundane, the mundane stuff. Living your life day by day by day, walking in progressive sanctification. It's something we talk about all the time. That just means that we're taking a step every day in our lives. We're looking more and more like Christ. You see, if we are not obedient and faithful in the little things, well, you, you know the answer to that. At least you should. And we have no excuse. We have no excuse not to be obedient. You can't say, I don't know. Jesus tells us everything that the Father has taught him, he has shared with us. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what Jesus has called us to do. And it finds its, its foundation in loving people and loving God. And everything else just springs from those two truths. So we can't even make an excuse. Read this, this collection of stories and histories and poetry and gospels and letters. Read it. It's there. And so as, as, he, as he continues to teach, Jesus is going to say something that I find is very interesting. And I don't like to debate a lot, and I, I don't because I don't think I'm really that good at it. Um, I'm just right all the time and everybody else is wrong. And so there is no debate. And so, but, but what he's about to say has, has sparked a lot of debates and sparked a lot of, of talk about predestination and election and all those things. And we're not going to get into a debate and just because I got the microphone and you don't. But anyway, well, I'm a little sarcastic today, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm just like, ah. Oh. 
a little edgy. I got, I got a little edge going, huh? Must be the tattoos. I don't know. Anyway, so where was I? Um, okay, right, right. So this is what Jesus will tell the boys. Guys, I have chosen you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. This is countercultural to the day of Jesus. This is not the way it was supposed to play out. And the disciples would have known this. Now remember, they are not the sharpest pencils in the box, these guys. And I don't mean that meanly. I mean, they just, they stopped their education at a certain point to go to work, to enter into the family trade. They did not continue so that they could become spiritual leaders, so they could become rabbis. They, they did not become what they would uh, um, term back then as Talmud or a disciple. But if they were to do that, this is the process. A disciple would want to continue their education and they would look for a rabbi that they wanted to follow. They would want to look for a rabbi that they would want to model their life after. And they would approach that rabbi and say, Rabbi, I would like to follow you. And the rabbi would ask lots of questions and give him a trial period to see if he can cut it. If he could, the rabbi would say, okay, you're in. If not, yeah, you got to go find somebody else. But the initial uh, meeting was the disciple seeking the rabbi and asking if he can follow him. Not so with Jesus. Jesus said, I have chosen you. You have not chosen me. And I have chosen you for a reason. Now, this should deflate a lot of egos in here. Because this is what did not happen as much as you think it might have happened. You did not get all the information on all of the things and try to put it all together and do the analysis and figure it out and go to Wikipedia and get all your information, get all your ducks in a row. And then he said, well, you know, it looks like my best option is to follow Jesus. So I choose Jesus to follow. It's not the way it happened. God initiates. God calls. God pokes. God kicks. God draws us into relationship with him. We did not pick Jesus like we would pick somebody for our kickball team on a schoolyard. We have been chosen. He has chosen us. And he has chosen us for a reason. And I'm sorry to say that reason is not some self-help reason. It's not the gospel of Oprah. Okay, that's not why Jesus chose us. It's not it's not the prosperity Jesus here. He did not choose us so that we could become rich. He did not choose us so we can have very nice things and we can live a a nice and easy and safe life that's just filled with potluck dinners and fellowship hall. That is not why Jesus has called us. He has chosen us. He has appointed us pointed us for a task, and that task is to go. That task is to go, to get off our butts, one T and two, which is a theme that's been really reoccurring these last few weeks, and go into this, this uh, go into the world, make a difference. We've been chosen. We've been appointed. 
and we've been sent into the world to make a difference. See, this is not just about going to church. This is not just about going to that Bible study. This is not just about going to that Christian conference, which are very important. I'm not knocking those things. I'm kind of, I kind of like church. Ta-da, here we are, right? So, so I'm not knocking those things. They are important, but it's not what Jesus is talking about. He says to go into that big bad world out there, and I don't mean that sarcastically because I have traveled this world and it's big. And you know what? Sometimes it's very dangerous. And Jesus says, go into that world. Make a difference. Make a difference that is going to last. And so when we go for the kingdom of God, in the name of God, and we leave behind all of our selfishness and our pride, it's then that our lives will make a difference. And Jesus says it's then that that difference will last. You see, this is, this is about the gospel. This is about bringing the gospel. It's about bringing the good news and all of its depth and all of its nuance to tell people there's a different way there's, there's a better way than, than the way you're living. This is about letting the Spirit of God just infiltrate deep down inside of you and everything in you begins to change. And the relationships around you begin to change. It's about focusing on what's really important in your life. What is really crucial? Because I believe that too often we focus on the things that mean very, very little. And we want and we try to acquire the things that mean nothing. Things that we don't even need. But I got to have it. iPhone 5's coming out soon. Got to have it. And no, I really mean that because that's not funny. I'm serious. But those other things, you know, the, the, the Windows products, really? I mean, do you need those? But, but we focus on the things that mean very, very little. And I think it's because, I believe it's because, many of the times we focus on ourselves. It's, it's, it's about me. You know, it's, it's, it's this idea that we, we ask, well, how does, this affect, how does this affect me? What do I get out of it? What's in it for me? You know what? That's too hard. I'm not doing that. You know, I'm just not comfortable with that. You know what? I got burned on that before. Mm -mm, Not again. You know, and as I kind of let this churn in my head for a while, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I don't use those terms in my life. I mean, if I have, it's been a a long time. You know, I've never said I got burned on that. I'm not doing that again. Or, you know, what's in this for me? I've never really said that lately for, for a long time. But if I really looked at my life, I will bet you, I can guarantee you, that the way I live it reflects those very attitudes more often than not. I would venture a guess that I'm not alone there. And so when we can get a hold of that idea, that truth, that Jesus has chosen you, he's appointed you, and he has sent you, to go and make a difference. When that, when that comes home and it lands and it starts to take over your life, it is going to mess things up for you. It will mess things up for you. And Jesus is going to tell us, guess what? This is going to mess you up because it's not going to be easy. It's going to bring us on a collision course with the world. 
It's going to bring us on a collision course, even with religion and religious people. It's exactly what happened to Jesus. It's exactly what happened to his disciples. And so why, if we are following Christ the way that we've been called to follow, why do we think it would be any different for us? Look what Jesus will say. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's, a, that's not a big selling point for Christianity right there. In the way it's written, Jesus is saying, the world is going to hate you. There's not going to be any doubt about it. People are not going to like you for who you represent, who you are. Live the way Jesus is asking you to live. Live by his commands and his callings. Let your heart be in tune to the things of God and not the things of man. People are going to hate you. The world is going to hate you. And he's telling them this to make sure that when it happens, and it will happen, that they're not surprised. They're not just taken back like, oh my goodness, why is this happening to me? Jesus is telling them, this is what's going to happen. The world, Jesus stood in direct opposition to the things that the world thought were important, and they hated him for it. We as the followers of Christ, and we stand in direct opposition to the things of this world. We will be hated for it. I think it's important to, to figure out and just talk for a few minutes on the idea of, of the world. What, what is the world? It's the, the word in the Greek here is cosmos, and you know, it means a whole celestial heaven planet thing, but also has some, some different meanings that I think we can draw out from this text. It means this harmonious arrangement. That's kind of hallmarkish, but it also means something with order or even government. And so what is the world and who or what is doing the hating? Now, I think if we look at the Gospels, we can draw the conclusion that there were people that followed Jesus. There were people that, that were attracted to Jesus. Who were they? The broken, the sick, the poor, the people that were looking for something in this life, the people that were oppressed even by their own religion. And they were following Jesus. They, there was something about him that attracted them to him. And so what is the world? Well, maybe this is kind of a duh, but I would say it's those people and or institutions that come in a direct, that come in direct conflict, tension, things of God. It's, it's the selfishness. It's pridefulness. It's the philosophy that I'm in control. It's the me generation. It's the more is better crowd. It's I'm going to take this because I want this. And you know what? I deserve it. It's those people and those institutions that will deny who Jesus is. This is the world. And so we can find it everywhere on a micro level and even on a macro level from from personal relationships to local state federal even the entire world stage jesus is telling his disciples 
the world is not going to like the things that you are going to tell it. The world is not going to like the way that you are living your life. In fact, they are going to pursue you with hatred. And that, my friends, is something that's very scary because you know why? Hatred kills people. Hatred kills people every day. Look what's happening in the Middle East right now. All these other nations are starting to have these little mini revolutions. And some of those nations aren't as nice as, say, Egypt and the other peaceful revolutions. Now there are military and police, and they're starting to kill people. Hatred kills people. And here's something that's a little scary, too, that I thought about. We can find this idea of the world, you know, the selfishness, the pridefulness, the me-ness, the I want this, the my agenda. We can find those things right within the church. We are not immune to those things seeping in, leaking in to the church. Yep, right within the walls of Christianity. There are things that take place in religious establishments and environments in the name of God that have nothing to do with God at all. In fact, later on in John 16, Jesus is going to tell the disciples, there is a time coming when the people who kill you, another great selling point for Christianity, but he says the people who are going to kill you, they think they're going to be doing a service for God. And that's, that's messed up. But we can find the world creeping right in to church. And we need to be on guard. We need to be on guard personally. We need to be on guard as a community. Those things don't get in and it will destroy a community of faith. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, guys, you do not belong to this world anymore. You do not belong to this world order of me and selfishness and pridefulness. You do not belong to a world that denies the Son of God. You've been called out of it. And so we, the followers of Jesus, do not belong to the world's. We have been called out, chosen out from the world's rhythms, from the world's uh, currents into something very different, something that Jesus is making new. And as the world for what it is, and Jesus followers for what we are, when we, when we come together, there's going to be tension and there's going to be conflict. The world reacted against him and the followers of Christ, the world will react against us. It's, it's what Jesus told us would happen. But I have to ask the question, is that a reflection of our life? I mean, have you come into tension 
with the things of this world. You know, and I'm not talking about whether or not you should watch rated R movies or watch that TV show or if you're thinking about, you know, you, you can't listen to that kind of music or is it a sin to have two glasses of beer but not just one? I'm not talking about those things at all. I'm talking about people and institutions that stand in direct defiance of the ways and the things of God. Have you come into tension with them, in conflict with them? Have you ever been hated because you are a Christian? It's it's an honest question. In the light of what Jesus is teaching, it's a very honest question. There is so much disagreement on what it means to follow Christ. I would say there's more disagreement about how to follow him than we can agree, than, than people agree on how to in agreement. But it really is simple. But Jesus said, listen, everything that God has taught me, I've taught you. And so let's water it down even more. You want to know how, what it looks like to follow Jesus? Does your life look like the life of Jesus? It's pretty simple. But I would venture a guess to say that there are millions of people in this world that call themselves Christian, that go to church on Sundays, that wear the T-shirt, that have the bumper sticker, that lift their hands when they sing, that know the right answers, that can pray really good and, and just beautiful prayers out loud. But their lives look nothing like the life of Christ. They do not follow his commands. And remember, I'm not talking about perfection. Please hear me. I'm not talking about you have to be perfect in everything. It's a heart condition. Is your heart leaning towards the things of God? Are you trying your best to get this right? Are you broken over your sin? So many people that call themselves Christian, but their life looks nothing like the life of Christ. And you know what? That's a problem. Personal piety does not make you a Christ follower. You know what makes you a Christ follower? Following Christ. Why is it that in our jobs, we do the best that we can do with the things and the tasks that we have been called to do, and we make sure that we do them well? Why is it as as parents, we try our best to raise our kids the best that we can and we sacrifice for them? We go without for them. Why do we invest so much time in hobbies? And I'm not knocking hobbies. I love hobbies. But but we people spend a lot of time and even resources on a hobby. Why do we follow the laws of the land? Well, Most of us do. I've driven with some of you. But anyway, why do we follow the laws of the land to the best that we can without trying to reinterpret them so we can somehow get around them? But yet, we don't put that same diligence in following Jesus. We don't put that same diligence in following the commands that he has called us to. Is it we're more concerned with the things of the world instead of the things of God. You know, that, that stings a little bit because, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. I don't stand here talking down to anybody. If anything, I'm looking up. 
Are we more concerned with the things of the world than the things of God? In Luke chapter 6, Luke records Jesus saying this, Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I ask you to do? Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what what I ask you to do? Jesus never promised it was going to be easy. In fact, he said, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. This is not a life of luxury. The son of man has no place to lay his head. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be temptations that are going to come our way. that are going to tug and pull and push at us. People are going to hate us, persecute us. Maybe even people within your own family, within people within our own faith. And you know, so I was thinking about this and I say, well, why bother then? I mean, why, why bother? I mean, get a job, make money, you know, work yourself up the corporate ladder. You get a little nest egg going. Life gets kind of comfortable. That's a good thing. You know, work hard at parenting. It's a, That's not a good example, but follow the laws of the lands. Follow those laws and just just live your life in peace and harmony and don't go to jail and get tickets. Get a hobby. It's it's relaxing. It eases stress. We need enjoyment out of life, right? So why bother with the Jesus thing? Why bother setting yourself up for persecution Why bother for setting yourself up for people not liking you and hating you? I mean, Jesus said, there's a a wide road and a lot of people are going to travel on that road. And then there's a narrow road, which leads to life. Well, you know what? The narrow road sounds kind of lonely. I mean, so why bother? And I think each one of us has to wrestle in our own heart, in our own soul with that question. Why bother? I mean, is it, is it out of fear, fear of hell, eternal separation from God? Well, for me, kind of, I mean, that's, that's, that's a little bit of a motivation. I mean, the you should be afraid of the wrath of God. You know why? Because it's the wrath of God. It's nothing to mess with. Or is it the promise of heaven? Well, I, for me, I, I guess, I mean, that's a something to look forward to when I'm dead. Why bother? And I guess, I guess I can only answer that question for me. And I'll, and I'll share with you the answer that, that I keep coming back to over and over again in my life. I want my life, I want it to mean something. I mean, I, I really, I really do. I, I look around and I see all of this brokenness and this pain in the world. I want my life to mean something. I want to leave something that's going to last for my kids. And I don't know if I'm doing the best job at it or even a good job at it. And don't ask my daughter right now because she might not say what I like her to say. But, but you know, I want, I want my life to mean something. All of the things that I've experienced, all the things that, that I've gone through, both the good and the bad, I want, I want there be, to be meaning there. And so where can I go to find meaning in my life? Well, I go to the one who's created my life. 
Jesus Christ. And you know, people don't have to make the same mistakes that I've made. I lived far from God for the first 30 years of my life. I made a lot of mistakes. People don't have to make those mistakes. And if you have, I can, I can show you that there's reconciliation and you can become whole. You see, you see I, want, I want people to learn that there's meaning and there's purpose and there's hope for life. I want to introduce people to Jesus. And, and I guess that's, that's why I do this. Yeah, there's the heaven and the hell thing. And, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that's part of it. But that's something when I'm dead. Like, I, I, hope to, I hope to grow old with you, to be some surly old preacher bringing fire and brimstone. When I'm, I plan on when I'm 60 years old. I believe when I'm 60, which is in 15 more years, that I will be ready to teach through the book of Romans. I'm, I'm, I, I think because Romans will mess you up. I'm telling you what, and I think when I'm 60, I'm, and, and I'm looking forward to teaching through the book of Romans when I'm 60. And so what does God have for me now today here? I search for meaning in the reflection of who God is and who Jesus is in my life. In all of its hardships, in all of the pain and the difficulty that life throws at us and faith throws at us. People talking about us, people us, people, you know, just getting in our face, stabbing us in the back. I mean, I've experienced those things. I know what's what that's like. But here's the truth that you need to take with you this morning. So please hear me. Jesus has chosen you. Jesus has appointed you. Jesus is sending you. And with the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given you, you can make a difference in this world for the kingdom of God. That's the word of the Lord. Chosen, appointed, sent, and empowered. And you know, it's not because he can't do it without you but he wants the best life for you. And it's in following him and all of the pain and the hardship and all of the joy and excitement. That's where you will find your best life because he has the words of life. Our Christian experience will not be easy all of the time. It won't. According to what Jesus said, it's going to be difficult. But if your Christian experience is always easy, pray. Lord, I want to repent for myself and for our church, that we may not have been living the life that you have called us to. Lord, I repent for this community and myself that we fall short in the things that you've commanded us to. And God, I will not make excuses for it. But we will rest in your forgiveness and your mercy. 
But God, don't let us stay there. Don't let us stay complacent. Don't let us stay comfortable, but continue to draw and pull and push. Continue to carve away and cut away those things that are just not of you. That we would continue every day more and more to look like Jesus. And so we will stand in your authority. We will stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. We will stand in your grace and your mercy. And we will also come to a place of opening our hands and our lives to you that we may be obedient. So thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do in our church and our life. Amen.